0: Controversial vaccine mandates top the list of January's top news stories. I'm HGT Managing Editor Vesna Brajkovic with Editor in Teeth, Deborah Lockridge, and we're going to give you some insights and updates into the most read stories from the past month. This episode is sponsored by Circle K. Get the most savings on every gallon when you fuel with the Circle K fleet card. Learn more at CircleKFleetCards.com
1: and before we get into our top news a reminder to follow us on social media and subscribe to HDT talks trucking so you don't miss an episode okay let's get to it the top issue in january on truckinginfo.com was the closing of the u.s canadian border to those who are not vaccinated against covid-19 and that includes truck drivers who had previously been exempt because they were essential workers but on january 15th canada began turning away foreign truck drivers who did not have proof of being fully vaccinated. And then on January 22nd, the US imposed a similar requirement. Now, trucking and logistics professionals on both sides of the border have been warning that this would make supply chain problems even worse. Vesna, this this story was continuing to make headlines in and outside of trucking as we rolled into February. Uh, So give us an update.
0: So there have been demonstrations in Canada's capital and at some land borders, and some protesters have drawn criticism for their behavior. The Private Motor Truck Council for Canada cited actions such as the desecration of national monuments, the display of racist anti-Semitic symbols, and stealing food from a food kitchen. And um, it was time for protesters to go home, they said. Um, But our friends at Today's Trucking and Truck News in Canada reported that a lot of those protesters were not truck drivers at all. Um, The Freedom Convoy, as it was called, was funded um, by a Canadian anti-government group. And that protest turned into a much broader event, drawing in people who had nothing to do with the trucking industry at all, um, but who want Canada's national and provincial governments to throw out all COVID-19 restrictions.
1: So has the new requirement had an effect on cross-border freight
0: movement? Can we tell so far? Oh, I think that's still up for debate. So the Private Motor Truck Council said capacity constraints are driving up rates of produce from the U.S. to Canada. And there were reports that truckloads of beef were stuck at the U.S., Um, at a Canadian border crossing due to a protest blockade. And in the U.S., the Transportation Intermediaries Association said the vaccine requirements are slowing cross-border freight movement and adding stress to supply chains. But then the Canada's uh, transport minister said the mandate had not significantly affected the volume of trucks entering the country. And then I know that there was another vaccine story that was number two on our list for the month. Deborah, can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Trucking was one of a number of industry and business groups that challenged an emergency rule from the Occupational Safety and Health Administration last fall. Uh, That rule would require companies who employed more than 100 people to make sure those workers were fully vaccinated or that they were tested weekly and wore masks. Uh, The challenges, a number of them, were all combined wound up in the Supreme Court, which stayed the rule on January 13th, And after that, OSHA withdrew the rule. Uh, So that's no longer uh, in consideration.
0: But I do understand that there is many truckers who would have been exempt from the rule anyway. Is that right?
1: That's right. While there was no specific exemption from trucking, which a number of trucking groups had sought, the rule would not have applied to employees who don't report to a workplace where other people are present or to employees who work exclusively outdoors. Um, so shortly before the Supreme Court made the decision that rendered this all moot, OSHA had clarified that these exemptions would apply to truck drivers who were solo drivers, not to team drivers, as long as any, any interactions they had with coworkers or customers was minimal or outdoors.
0: Got it. So our number three story was the appointment of deputy administrator for the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, Robin Hutchinson, So, who also will be the acting administrator. Uh, Deborah, what can you tell us about Hutchinson?
1: Well, not a lot yet, but um, from what we've seen about her experience, she seems to have worked a lot in the government for the past year. She has been the deputy assistant secretary for safety policy for the Department of Transportation. And before that, she was director of public works for the city of Minneapolis. Um, that did include some fleet management and transportation functions that also involved overseeing areas like drinking water and sewers and recycling and she was also president of the national association of city transportation officials so uh, a lot of kind of urban uh, transport experience
0: so her predecessor Mira Josie was with the FMCSA for only about a year is that right
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, She left the role to serve as a deputy mayor in New York City under uh, their new government. Uh, We've had a real revolving door at the agency the past few years. Hutchinson makes the fourth acting administrator since President Trump's appointee Ray Martinez stepped down just over two years ago.
0: Okay, so moving away from governmental issues, our, top, um, our fourth top story from January was an announcement that Warner Enterprises is working with Cummins to validate and integrate Cummins' new 15 liter natural gas engine into its fleet starting later this year. Um, but perhaps even more interesting was that they were also going to validate a new 15 liter Cummins internal combustion engine that uses hydrogen. But I understand this is not the fleet's only foray into alternative fuels and drivetrains.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, Werner's been um, looking at things like natural gas for a while, but um, in the last year or two, uh, they ran an early version of a Peterbilt 579 electric truck uh, in a pilot project in the LA area on a dedicated account, uh, kind of testing that for Peterbilt. And a little over a year ago, uh, Cummins again, And Navistar announced they will work together to develop a hydrogen fuel cell truck, which Werner is on board to do a field test of that as well. And that's interesting because that's a fuel cell truck, whereas the one in our story this month is actually an internal combustion engine that uses hydrogen. So it will be interesting to learn more about that. So the last story on our list was specific to one state. Um, but it could have broader implications when it comes to driver privacy issues. Vesna, you uh, reported on that. Tell us what you found.
0: Sure. So collecting biometric information from drivers without their permission could get motor carriers in trouble, at least in Illinois, like you said. So a recent Illinois appellant court ruling could increase liability under this law that's called the Biometric Information Privacy Act. And so that law requires entities that obtain biometric information. That's things like fingerprints, facial recognition scans, voice recognition to first inform the subject, so in trucking, in this case, it's the truck driver, in writing that their information is being collected and stored, why it's being collected and stored, and how long they're gonna keep that information. And you need to get written consent. So what was especially news about that ruling in particular was that it established that that law applies to every single capture of a person's fa- fa- uh, facial scan, fingerprint, etc. cetera. And obviously this is technology that's becoming commonplace in trucking. Think things like tech to detect driver fatigue via in-cab cameras or security lock devices, things like that. So from what I read in the National Law Review, this is specifically an issue in Illinois because it's the only state that regulates this kind of thing, whose statute includes something called a private right of action, which from my understanding, that essentially means that a private individual, aka the driver, for example, has the legal right then to file a lawsuit against another under this law. And some attorneys have said that this means that fleets that operate in Illinois could Um, should ensure that they have a policy in place to avoid potentially thousands of dollars in damages for each individual scan, remember. And so this could be something to also just keep track of generally, even if you don't operate in Illinois, because these technologies continue to be offered in the marketplace and perhaps even more states states will pass similar legislation in the future.
1: Boy, that's a... Yeah, That would be a lot of paperwork if you had to do it for every scan. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. So um, thanks Vesna. That is it for this episode of HDD Talks Trucking and we'll be back in a month with another top news update.